Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is uh, week five of our Thursday Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. Uh, I trust you've all read uh, this chapter on the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path and the, and the previous chapters. Um, following right view and right intention, uh, the virtuous factors are how we develop, ultimately how we develop right view. So right view is a as we develop the Dhamma, is a view that has a profound understanding of stress or dukkha and our individual contributions to the stress that we create in our lives. Right view relates to the second noble truth in that it has recognized and abandoned all craving for and clinging to fabrications. And I'm not going to talk too much about what fabrications are because we're going to get to that in three weeks uh, in, when we get into dependent origination. But fabrication is, is a... Um, a false view that we've created about ourselves in relation to the world we live in, the people and events of our world, because we're lacking knowledge of Four Noble Truths. So it, this is, we're talking about a very specific type of ignorance here, too. It's not that human beings are ignorant. We, if we're ignorant of, of how, a, how a rocket ship gets to the, to the moon, that's irrelevant to the Dhamma. What is relevant to the Dhamma is Four Noble Truths, and that's what we're developing, and that's what right view Develops And so right intention then is the intention to recognize and abandon craving and clinging for fabricated views, false views of ourselves in relation to the world. Um, the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, are through mindfulness where we recognize what we're holding in mind. Mindfulness means to, to hold in mind or to recollect. And whatever we're holding in mind about ourselves and the world, no matter how fabricated, no, no matter how um, contrary to Four Noble Truths, will always play out in our thought, words, and deeds, or our, or our speech, action, and, our, and in our livelihood. And that's why there's that, this, this gentle but um, brilliant focus that the Buddha put on our present behavior. Look at what we're doing. Krishnamurti used to say, notice the life you're living. And that's what Krishnamurti was saying. Moment by moment, look at your behavior. And, and we're giving a benchmark here. The Buddha taught us the difference between right speech, right action, or right livelihood, and wrong speech, wrong action, and wrong livelihood. And it's a very clear distinction, and it's a very important distinction, because this is Dhamma practice here. It's not about what our behavior might be if we pray long enough, long enough or chant long enough, or bow long enough, what we might develop in a, in a future life. The Buddha's Dhamma is about what's going on right here, right now, in our life as our life unfolds. And that's why jhana meditation is the only meditation the Buddha ever taught, because that develops that deep concentration that allows us to be present for our life as our life unfolds. The, I'm not going to read much of it, because you all read this chapter, but I'm going to read a, a key part of this. The Buddha taught, Buddha's words, a true and effective Dhamma practice must incorporate these three trainings. Which three? The training in heightened virtue, the training in heightened concentration, and the training in heightened discernment or wisdom. So for one thing that's important about this is the Buddha is not saying that we should dis discount 
ourselves as human beings, what he's saying right here is as a human being, we're going to build on what we are. We're simply going to heighten or elevate our current way of looking at the world and ourselves in relation to the world. So right speech is a third factor of the Eightfold Path, and by mindfully integrating right speech, it becomes clear how words are used to continue establishing a self that is prone to stress and suffering. So many, many people, when they first come to the Dhamma and are practicing it diligently, the way the Buddha taught, the way I teach it, uh, right speech is one of the first things that, that they'll recognize as Dhamma practice. And it makes sense, isn't it? Because whatever we're holding in mind is always going to come out in the words we use. It's impossible not to. We might, we might try to hold it back at times, but usually at some point, what we're holding in mind, the way we think about ourselves and the people and events of our lives are going to come out in our speech. And so if we're mindful of our speech, we're getting a clear look at the quality of our mind, aren't we? When I teach young kids, say, say below 14 or 15, uh, and really even down to 8 or 9, this is the first thing I ask them to look at. It's just, just their, their words. Uh, I might say, notice when you're talking to your friend and you're talking about a friend that's not there, maybe in not so nice terms, how it makes you feel. And to a, to a child, they'll say, yeah, I don't really feel good about that. And so they'll start looking at it in a way of diminishing that type of, of wrong speech. We do the same thing. As our concentration increases and then we're putting our mindfulness on what's coming out of our mouth, we'll start noticing what we're holding in mind. And another key aspect of right speech is, the, is what we're telling ourselves, a story we have going on in our minds. In fact, you could say that's even more important than the, the speech that we're uttering to others. As our concentration increases and we're quieting our minds, jhana meditation will quickly reveal what, what kind of conversation, what story we're telling ourselves. Why? For the sole reason of simply letting it go. Not to judge ourselves harshly about a silly story we've been carrying around since we're a kid. Simply recognize what is an aspect of wrong speech and let it go. So, and the Buddha gives clear direction on what right speech is. Right speech is abstaining from lying and talking truthfully. Right speech is abstaining from divisive speech, including gossip, Speaking with compassion for all. A good rule of thumb is to never talk about anyone when they're not standing in front of you, especially if it's negative. Right speech is abstaining from abusive speech. Speaking with kindness, kindness and tolerance for all. Right speech is abstaining from idle chatter. Speaking only what is necessary and helpful. That's probably the toughest one because we, we're almost encouraged um, in, a, in a social way to always be yapping when we're with others. And I've, I've said this to quite, I think I've said it to more, more than a few times. We know who our friends truly are and we can, we can stay with them for a long period of time without having to chatter. We can, we can simply be quiet. And this doesn't mean that we should never have a, um, a loose word with someone or just, just a, a pleasant social conversation. But we should be mindful that when we're engaged in idle chatter, we're engaging in it in a way that's distracting to us in that moment. And so if we want to really make each moment meaningful, We'll be mindful of idle chatter and, and abandon it as much as we can. Difficult in the world we live in. We've created uh, platforms that people have made billions off of to allow for the continuation of idle chatter, even when we're in a virtual space. I'm talking about things like Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram. We just love idle chatter. It's, it's the common addiction of human beings, uh, but it is very debilitating as far as Dhamma practice is concerned. I'll continue. Wrong speech arising from clinging, craving, and wrong speech arises from clinging, craving, and aversion. 
It is often used to promote or defend an ego personality. Wrong speech can be very subtle at times. Gossip in particular is always hurtful and always arises from the desire to promote an ego personality. Of course it does. It's easy to see. It is best to only speak of others when they are present. Idle chatter is used, is used much for distraction as for social interaction. I just said this. I'll skip over that part. As wisdom develops, understanding that spoken words will actually be helpful to someone or a situation will also show if they are necessary. So another important aspect of right speech, and it can save a lot of trouble for ourselves, is to realize when what I'm about to say is, is going to be, uh, it, it's going to fall on ears that are willing to listen. It's not going to fall on deaf ears. And that the person I'm talking to is likely going to act on this in a positive way. If we know that what I'm about to say is going to fall on deaf ears or even agitate the person, no matter how right we think we are, we keep our mouth shut. That's right speech. And that's an aspect of noble silence. And noble silence relates directly to right speech. The, the, the modern Buddhist world is, is a, Buddhist world is very enamored with the idea of noble silence, but they don't know what noble silence is. Noble silence is, is not just agreeing that we're all going to be silent for the next four or five days or however long this particular retreat might be. Noble silence can only be informed by being mindful of right speech. And so noble silence follows from knowing that in this moment, there's nothing for me to say. That's noble silence. So on our retreats, we don't we don't have a we, we have three or four day retreats. We don't just lay out a rule that we're never going to talk until the retreat's over. That's not noble silence, and it's it's actually hurtful to the psyche. What we do is we agree as a group that when we're gathered as a sangha, we're only going to speak of the Dhamma, and when not, when there's nothing to talk about, then we keep our mouths shut. That's noble silence, and it's really remarkable how quickly. Um, more has been on our retreats. I don't think anybody else. How 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 conducive that that is to actually developing the eightfold path, because then you're mindful of the eightfold path with your interactions with other members of the sangha. You're mindful of the eightfold path. That's how we develop the eightfold path. And and by the way, that's the reason why I run my classes the way I do. We don't talk about anything else here except what the Buddha actually taught, because that's what the Buddha taught me to teach you. We speak only of the Dhamma. Um, let me just say a little bit more and then I'm going to stop. Words that have no meaningful impact are part of idle chattering can often prove divisive and will always be distracting. So why would we want to distract ourselves or other people? Right speech, speech also pertains to what we are saying to ourselves and should be considered within the same guidelines. As the words we are saying to ourselves, are the words we are saying to ourselves truthful, helpful, kind, and compassionate? Are our thoughts a type of unnecessary idle chatter? I'm going to stop there because that's really an important uh, development of right speech, internal right speech that we develop directly in jhana practice. Every time we discover or notice in jhana practice that we're caught up in our, in our thoughts or our feelings, that is an aspect of internal idle chatter. And every time we recognize it and take a breath, unite the mind and the body again, we're interrupting, excuse me, the habitual propensity towards idle chatter. As we start diminishing it within ourselves, you'll notice that you're more quiet out in the world. And if you notice that you're not more quiet out in the world, it's probably because you haven't quieted down that inner dialogue yet. Excuse me. So right action and right livelihood follow in the same way. 
Uh, and really, the, the, the simplest way to look at all this is that are my actions helpful or hurtful? If they're hurtful, obviously we stop. And if they're helpful, we encourage it. And the same thing with our livelihood. And livelihood can get into some pretty interesting things depending on what we're doing to make a living. But they're always within the, these, these um, moral and ethical framework of right speech and right action. It plays out in right livelihood. Uh, when I first started developing this, I was really curious as to why the Buddha put right livelihood in there following right speech and right action. My thinking was that isn't that covered by right speech and right action. But the Buddha noticed, much like I've noticed, and I think we've all noticed in this life, that otherwise good and honest men and women, when it comes time to put food on the table, they might stretch right speech and right action a little bit. And the Buddha said, no, no, no. <laughs> Even here, you have to practice right speech and right action. Uh, so that's why it's there. If, if you find yourself right now uh, engaging in an aspect of right livelihood or maybe wrong livelihood as you're starting to relate it to the Dhamma, uh, please don't panic and always be gentle with yourself in making a transition from something that you you feel might be hurtful. And if you're not sure, send me an email and we can set up a session to talk about that. Because for some of us, that can be a little bit tricky. Um, I should probably give an example. Um, it, 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 say your business is selling guns in Alaska. Most people would have a knee-jerk reaction that nobody should ever sell a gun because they, you know, blah, blah, blah. There, there's whole populations of, of human beings that would simply perish if they didn't have the ability to get a gun. And the people that live, that subsistence living, they live off the land. If they can't get a gun, they're going to starve to death. So in, in those situations, we need people to sell guns to them, don't we? Other people say, no, no, no. But that's simply an aspect of having a human life. And it's an aspect of reasonableness, which is an aspect of right view. So I just it, that's just one example. There's many examples like that. Uh, so I'm going to stop right there. Uh, I'd like to hear what you all have to say about this. Um, let me start in the bottom left, and I'll talk. Henrietta, how are you? Hi. Um, I actually didn't have any questions or thoughts or comments on this. How is your Dhamma practice going? Yeah, it's going well, thank you. Good, good, good. Your The meditation method is working well for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm still stuck at the 10 minutes that that's great um, but yeah. twice a day yeah great yeah that's outstanding yeah you'll know when it's time to to add some more minutes and if, if you're if you're not sure you again send me an email we can set up a little quick session too so i'm glad Thanks. you joined today henrietta Thanks. victoria how are you i'm great thanks john hi everyone um yeah i feel i i really appreciate your um your distinction or going into right speech and clarifying that it also refers to um, internal speech because I think that's something that I definitely feel like I'm yeah, challenged with. I mean, just constantly, I think I've developed this habit over the years of just um, kind of constantly evaluating and talking to myself about how am I doing? How am I feeling? Yeah. Is this a good day? Is this a bad day? Thinking about everything, you know, like I definitely feel like I observe that idle internal chatter a lot. And yeah. I think um, I did, I did notice that, you know, I have been able to have a consistent practice of sitting over the last right. several weeks. I did notice that that has helped a bit, but it feel it still feels quite strong. <laughs> um, maybe it just takes time. <clears throat> a little but, bit of time. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if you have any additional tips about that, but I, I do at least observe myself doing it. Sometimes I catch it, but sometimes on certain days, you know, especially if I'm like doing a lot of things or busy or preoccupied with something, sometimes it still runs away, you know, yeah. to me, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, Henrietta, that, uh, Victoria, that's why it's a practice, you know, it, and you, you said you already noticed some benefit. Uh, it just takes time. And as you start developing the Eightfold Path in a more uh, broader way, uh, it becomes very synergistic. In other words, <coughs> excuse me, the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path contribute to right meditation or increasing concentration. And as our concentration increases, we're more mindful of the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. Uh, so you're developing it as, as it should be. Uh, how long are you meditating? I, on average, um, say 15 to 20 minutes that's, in the morning. And, the, and twice a day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's plenty for right now. Uh, I've been meditating for about 250 years, and uh, I, I meditate 30 minutes twice a day. That's all. I, mean, I, I shouldn't say that's all. That's, that's more than enough. Um, the, every now and then when I just feel like it, you know, I might, I just might have a lot of time on my hands. I might sit for an hour or two, but that's, you know, that's rather rare. My, my daily practice is 30 minutes twice a day. Um, I've read a lot of what the Buddha taught and I've never, ever come across anything where the Buddha said, you should sit for this number of minutes or this number of hours. Um, he, he simply said, go find the root of a tree or an empty hut, find a quiet, secluded place and do jhana. And that's what we're doing. That's, you're developing it nicely. So. And just over the last week or two, I actually started using your guided meditations, which has helped a lot. Actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I encourage you. There's, there's recordings on the website to please listen to those because the verbiage on those, the guidance relates directly to the four foundations of mindfulness. So it relates directly to the Buddha's Dhamma in that way. So great. Thank you, Victoria. How are you, Maura? I am good. Good. I am good little bit of a headache um, and a backache. How <laughs> oh. about your legs? Legs are good. Oh. I've been I've been hauling wood, very wet wood, in, onto the porch for two days. So, but um, all good. Sorry, that's and I got my second COVID vaccine. So oh, I realized good. when I was sitting in meditation just now that. Right. I've been feeling a lot of tension up here. And I was like, oh, maybe that's just a little COVID. So that's how I am <laughs> in the body for the moment. But um, yeah, so the that sounds like idle chatter. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was just an example, right? You were doing that for us. Yeah, I was good. I'm good at that. You can always count on me for idle chatter. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I guess what I was thinking about with, um, I think, uh, right speech, and, and even right action, right livelihood, all of it, um, right action, I think, you know, it's kind of clear the way the Buddha put it out, you know, it's uh, really it kind of follows right view and right intention a lot. Um, uh, the, I was contemplating right speech as part of also um just tranquility right so when uh, i would just uh like when i'm doing household tasks or even when i was doing the logs i'm you know i recognize there's an internal dialogue and just come back to the breath 
and you know into the feet and into the body and we're doing logs and um it there's a rhythm and an absorption that takes place in that and then i realize i'm off in the story again and then i come back um and actually i've had some just really lovely days of um just practicing kind of very diligently in the household brushing teeth washing you know all these things just really watching that internal dialogue and returning to the breath and the body so this tranquility and absorption bubbles up um from that and it's really delightful <laughs> so and then it goes away yeah. um but that's fine you know i'm I, just not grasping after that either now it's here now it's gone um it feels really good to be practicing kind of uh with a good amount of clarity um it feels very joyful it's like the days are just exciting um they really are i like just interested to see what unfolds um and i've yeah it's just a great practice so that's all i have to say i don't think that was too idle there thank you more yeah you're referring to how that through the dhamma practice through authentic dhamma practice each moment becomes meaningful we don't we're not grasping after some experience life is meaningful because we're actually experiencing it right here and right now you know as opposed to being driven from the past into the future so thank you i just I, I, this is my last thing on that you know i'll have one more thing to say i was watching the birds on the logs um and i just had that really that sense of honestly um wow like there's just so much going on and really there's so much going on always and, uh it's just uh uh it's better than the narrative that goes on <laughs> yeah, it's better than what we carry around in our heads thank you more fleur how are you what do you think of this, today's class hey um yeah it was amazing i mean um, it took me a bit i'm not going to say it took me a bit of time to kind of uh that's all i think i was a bit flustered by the whole like microphone thing <laughs> <laughs> so it, it took me a while to kind of uh get a bit calm um but uh yeah i found it it's so it's so um changing for me to just to take the time to try doing nothing. Uh, I tend to, I think I, I, I started meditation because I started noticing how I was trying to do a multitasking all this time. Mm -hmm. So um, just just having those moments where everything is at peace, it's, it's really, uh, really quite nice. Yeah. Uh, after I have um, uh, a lot of doubts, I think like when, uh, whether I'm doing it right, uh, whether you know the rhythm of my breathing, am I changing it? And there's a lot of question in my head of thinking like, is it is it right the way I'm doing it? But I guess it's um, it's early days, so I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going with the journey. Yeah, great, Fleur. Like I said, if you want to stay on after class, or we can do it later. But the uh, on the website, there's uh, guided jhana meditation from five to forty-five minutes. Since you're just starting out, I would suggest you start with five minutes twice a day. Uh, and just yeah. listen to it. And, it, and there's, it, as long as you're following the guidance, every meditation session is successful. In other words, 
Meditation, jhana meditation has two components, not just one. It's not just being mindful of your breath. It's recognizing when you're caught up in your thoughts and your feelings again and coming back to the sensation of breathing. That's how we increase jhana or increase concentration. So it's both of those components. And then the other thing is always remember that in, in Dhamma practice and in life, uh, the most important thing is to be very gentle with yourself. So I'm glad you joined us today, Fleur. Yeah, me too. Thanks again. Yep. Mark, how are you? Hey, John. I'm good. I'm good good to see you. you. Hey. Um, so, on the practice, um, it's been a bit inconsistent, um, but it's been great every time I've done it. Sometimes <laughs> uh, I'll do 25 minutes. Other days I've missed meditation. Other days I've done meditation twice a day. Um, but every time I've done it, I have noticed that there is a sense of calm. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier to catch the idle chatter post-meditation. Yeah. yeah. Are you listening to the guided meditations from the website? Yeah, I've only listened to them. They're really helpful. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed them. I started listening to them about three weeks ago, and they, they made a big difference. And how are you integrating the other, the, like the classes, that like we're, what we're talking about today? Um, so the speech is interesting. Um, I it's almost like collecting, like having a third person watching. Um, so almost like collect metadata, and um, I notice you know, the wheels keep start spinning, especially internally with the dialogue. Yeah, and be mindful of of being aware that something, it, it is what it is, and I don't need to anchor whatever's just happened with my dialogue or story. Um, but one of the ways I've been doing that is, obviously when I catch the, you know, catch the wheel spinning, it's almost like I'm, it's, I've stopped it by saying, literally stop, and maybe I should be a bit kinder by breathing, as opposed to, yeah. it feels like I'm stopped by another person. Use your breath. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you're encouraging yourself to, to, to do that off your cushion too. Um, just one suggestion I, I would make, um, as opposed to sitting for 20 or 25 minutes when you get to it, you might find it easier to establish a regular practice by just cutting it back to 10 minutes twice a day instead of thinking that you have to sit for 25 or 30 minutes. Uh, because that... It, it, 10 minutes twice a day, if you're doing that every day, is going to have a far greater effect in developing concentration than sitting for 25 minutes, you know, whenever you, whenever you do it. So or even, even five minutes twice a day, just to get into the routine of a regular practice is important. So. Thanks, John. So just, just on that, I sure. noticed the, the settling down or trying to, well, when we do a meditation with you, there is those first that first minute or two where you're kind of bringing this down gently, and it feels like when I do that by myself, it takes a lot longer to settle down. By the time I settle down, it's almost over. Uh, so it's almost like it takes ten minutes at least to uh, to just quiet in the mind. Yeah, it's part of that has to be for some reason. You know, maybe Rupert Sheldrake used to talk about morphic resonance. Maybe it's that. It, it seems like meditating in a group seems to be more effective but uh the verbiage that i use today is the same verbiage that's on the guided meditation so i think the more you listen to it the more it'll have more of a um, the more the more it'll have more of an immediate effect i i believe so 
stay with it. That's all. That's all we can do. But you're again, you're de you're you're developing the uh, the the benefits of it. Um, it. As long as you start developing more of a regular practice, like I said, five or ten minutes twice a day, is you'll see some benefits immediately from that. Thank you, Mark. Alex, good to see you. Hi, John. Hi, guys. Yeah, good to see you all. Um, yeah, really interesting chapter. I've, um, I guess I've been, you know, I've strayed from the path a little bit the last few weeks. I've, I've had a pretty stressful time. Mm. Um, and But actually, being back here today, you know, I'm feeling a lot more balanced and I feel like I've used my understanding of the of the Dharma to, to bring myself back and try and understand what happened. So really we learn through these little little time, little, little periods. So I don't know, I'm feeling quite good now and I think I've learned a lot in the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, and in terms of my practice, I'm still going. I mean, I was doing, always do at least once a day for 10 minutes. Like your advice to Mark there is what I would say is, is rather than doing the long sit, try and do 10 minutes a day at least. Um, so I've definitely been, been doing that and, and sometimes twice a day. So yeah, I'm still going um, with, with the practice. And also one thing that, because I'm doing a lot of Buddha study, Buddhist study at the moment. And one thing that kind of hit me recently is, because I, I, I do, I think this is a theme I, I bring up in this group as well is that I do tend to be quite hard on myself and you always say to go gently please and I still, I still yeah I still find that you know I, I work on that a lot because for me when I'm taking something on or trying to do something my default tends to be you know it's kind of like uh just just try and I, I'm quite hard on myself and sometimes yeah. I respond that's how I work you know I need to be quite firm but I know I need to soften up with, with myself but what I've what I've what's helped me recently is that this is something we're aspiring to so I am still human and I am still yeah. going to I think that's what I'm starting to tell myself recently more and more yeah. um, this is an aspiration right this isn't something I'm trying to achieve overnight this is just a um something to aspire to I I I've I've used this with Tom earlier, actually, but the, the analogy of an acorn, you don't tell an acorn it can't ever become an oak tree. Yeah. Um, the, the acorn doesn't know it, you know, what it can become unless, yeah, unless um, it aspires to be something bigger. So that's helping me a lot at the moment. Yeah. Um, in terms of this, this chapter specifically, I had one question that just stuck, stuck to me. Your email was useful. I just withdrew it, actually. But um, I was interested in right livelihood and your point about trying to be aware of what you're doing that might be harmful. And for me, I mean, I don't think it's harmful, but I know that because I run my own business a bit like Tom does. And for me, in the last few years, my business is purely for profit, like many businesses. Yeah. And what's um, come to mind for me you know, more and more since exploring Buddhism as well, is that I'd rather run a business that isn't purely for profit. I, I want to make money, but I'd rather do a social impact business. But I'm in this 
business now. I've got a co-founder. We run it together, and it it's just to make money. And it, we're not doing anyone any harm, really. Good. Well, I'm just interested in um, where you stand on. I guess I guess the business world. What would the Buddha say about the, the world we're in, where we do we need money, right? Yeah. Well, in the world we're in, we do. Um, so, so what would you say about that? You know, because there, there is a part of me as well that think I'll be more comfortable if I do make this business a success and make loads of money. I'll be more it, comfortable and I'm more able to, to practice the Dharma. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, what's your view on that? It's, it's such an important question, Alex. Thank you. And it has some very, uh, it goes to very subtle levels. Uh, the the most thing you the best thing you should do if you if you feel like you're just making too much money is just send it to me and I'll I'll watch it. For, <laughs> I'm definitely not. <laughs> uh, there there is absolutely nothing wrong with making piles and piles and piles of money. It's how you right. think about yourself in relation to that money. The the Buddha lived every day for profit. It just wasn't a big profit. Every day he got up and walked into town with a little ball, looking for his profit. Free food. And in exchange for that, in exchange for his profit, he would give a, a short Dhamma, a Dhamma lesson. So there's, there's nothing wrong with profit ex except how we think of it. There's nothing wrong with doing something only for profit. Not everything has to be, have a social impact. It's how we think about it. There, there would be no Buddhism today if there wasn't for some very wealthy benefactors during the Buddhist time who supported him. Anatha Pandika comes to mind. Uh, that the, he, Anatha Pandika was a very wealthy businessman who came across the Buddha, studied the Dhamma, awakened, but continued in commerce. And he used that money to support the Buddha. Not all of it. He took care of himself, too. Um, so it's really our relationship with, with our money and what we're doing for it that's more important. Um, I would say that somebody who has um, developed a Dhamma to the point of true humanness, cannot help but be contributory to the social good, no matter what their business is like. It's, it's just a, a natural uh, expression of being a human being. And you mentioned that. The Buddha taught, his, the Buddha's Dhamma teaches us all how to be the most effective human being we can be. And in that, it makes it for a most meaningful human life. That's all that the Buddha was con concerned about. But that's everything, isn't it? The best way to describe awakening through the Dhamma is to gain full human maturity. And that allows us to live each and every moment of our lives with great meaning and purpose, simply because we're here to live it. And what more could we want from humanity than to be an awakened human being? If we start thinking about more and more and more, it's because we're stuck in ignorance. That's all. So two great questions, Alex. Thank you so much. Thank you. Francisca, how are you? Am I saying your name correctly? Yeah. Am I? Everybody. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I'm so tired today. I, I really enjoyed listening and I I don't want to say much today. I, I just listened to you guys. <laughs> it was a great talk. Thanks and uh, great questions. I'm glad you joined us. Hello, Tom. Hi, John. Uh, um, uh, yeah, and I, I think I'm going to... I'm going to say something briefly, but then I'm going to go into noble silence as well. Because it, it, I, I guess what I took from your talk, by the chapter, was, yeah, I am a little bit of a talker sometimes, and people that know me will, will know. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, some of the 
some of it is idle chatter, and just like you said, there's not, not necessarily anything wrong with it, but it is interesting how, at least for me, I notice how idle chatter kind of is feeding my ego a little bit, right? And sometimes, and I, I, I don't know if anyone else does this, um, um, you know, I'll be thinking of what I want to say while someone else is speaking. Yeah. And yep. that's, that's silly, right? That's not, that's not the Dharma. <laughs> so, and I don't, you know, and I'll be like, oh, wait, there's two more people. It's, oh, no, now, you know, it's whatever. It's, uh, it's Mateo. Okay, it's probably me next. Well, I better think about what I'm going to say so I don't look stupid, right? Yep. And you're not listening to what the person's saying. Shining awareness. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. That is, that's such a good example of how we distract ourselves in this moment. We were always, you know, if we're talking with someone, it's because we we think they have some relevance to our lives or we wouldn't be talking to them. And yet we're thinking about our response rather than listening to what they're saying. So you can say that an aspect of right speech is noble listening too, isn't it? You know, being present. We have uh, David, who, who comes to our, one of our teachers, who comes on Tuesdays and Saturdays, talks of that often, you know, that an aspect of right speech is to be able to listen to what people are saying. So it's so important. Thank you, Tom. Matteo, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I was thinking about uh, wrong speech and uh, idle chatting for, for uh, from your class. And I have a question. So most of people, they will, they will ask to somebody, like, how are you? But most of the time... Uh, Honestly, nobody care about the answer. So we, we, we should consider that as a idle chatting, wrong speech, uh, or we should, basically my question is like, we should only ask him how are you when you really want to know yeah. what you else feel. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 why, why bother if you're not really interested? But of course, we say all those kinds of things just to, you know, as social conventions. But again, the Dhamma makes us because if we're deep in a concentration, we can be more mindful of these, geez, these um, social conventions that really are in place just to keep us all distracted because we don't, we don't need to be. It, it can be uncomfortable at first, too, as we're developing right speech. Uh, the implication is that we will be quieter. We won't be so gabby. But that can take some getting used to, especially if we're used to being gabby. You know, if we're used to, to engaging in idle chatter simply as a way of trying to fit in. Um, I guess I was kind of uh, always leaning towards uh, right speech anyway, and I didn't know it. Uh, when I was a, you know, a, a mid to late teenager, as you're starting to, to kind of feel your oats a little bit and you're being more social, uh, I, couldn't, I, I never could tolerate just idle chatter I just, I, and small talk. It just, I just didn't like to do it. And so I, I felt like I was... Um, I was shy, you know, people put that label on me or, or I was socially awkward, but it really it wasn't until I take, came to the Dom and realized it, but I just never liked just Gavin for Gavin's sake, except now, now that I'm a teacher, I can do it. <laughs> Thank you, Mateo. Michael, how are you? Hi, John. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Everybody. Good seeing everybody. 
Um, I jotted down several things, but I just want to uh, re refer to what Tom was saying. Tom, I, I think that was excellent. That's uh, excellent awareness there, um, which uh, it's a, a subtle aspect of right speech. And uh, I, I really think you you actually uh, that awareness is means that you're understanding uh, what's you know how what the Buddha intended when practicing the Dhamma and. I think we all get to that point of like we, you know, or we can lead. We not not intentionally. We don't start off that way intentionally, but we do, you know, talk for the sake of talking sometimes, and it uh, it runs on. And uh, I I do it myself. I'm doing it now, and I'm uh, rambling on. Uh, but to like to recognize that we're doing that is definitely practicing the, the Buddhist Dhamma. You know, no doubt about it. Uh, living in the moment. Uh, uh, concentrating on on the moment and word, action, thought, and deed. You know, keep, let's always keep in mind that the Dhamma is here and now. What we're doing right here and right now. So, uh, you know, I think Mark had uh, mentioned, uh, 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 alluding to his uh, uh, his meditation practice too, uh, uh, about you know where he is at with that and stuff. Like all these things, like feed into like. All right, this 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 present moment, okay, and what we're doing in this in this present moment. So the awareness in the present moment uh, uh, the, uh, is that which guides us in relation to you know right action, wrong action, right speech, wrong speech. And we if we're living the Dhamma as the Buddha intended, then we're going to practice right speech, right action, right livelihood with. A, a more profound knowledge of it, understanding of it, would be without self-referential, self-referential uh, views on it. So, do we understand that? Without this, we removed self-reference from from words, thoughts, actions, and deeds. This is where we want to be to to separate ourselves from the ego self in all action, words, thoughts, and deeds. Anyhow, that's just what I wanted to uh, point out. Outstanding, Michael. Thank you. Julia. Uh, Julia actually is teaching an online class. Ah, okay. So uh, she had to uh, go out. So, Josh, how are you today? Thank you. I'm doing well, John. Hi, everybody. Uh, well, I was going to listen in noble silence, but I got to say a, a couple things. Please. I, I, idle uh, chatter has come up. And I'm thinking that I, I play a lot of golf, and I have some friends, all they want to talk about is the shot they made, how they did on this thing, how they didn't do well here, and so forth and so on. And I have other friends who will talk and say, somebody really played well, I, they called a penalty on themselves, they're really uh, good, good guys, and so forth. So I think it's the motive behind the idle chatter that is important. It, it is. Uh, the intention. Uh, the intention. If it's, if it's as Mike said, self-referential, then it's probably not so good. If it's done through kindness and consideration and, and uh, meaning to do well, I think we can, we can all idle along as much as we want. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, well, well said, my friend. 
uh, yeah, we again, an aspect of right speech, an aspect of the Dhamma is being very gentle with ourselves. So we shouldn't be um, overly mindful of what's coming out of our mouth. We should recognize when we're when we're speaking for to continue eye making. Um, you know, when we're trying to promote a self-referential ego self, uh, th- that's important to recognize that and abandon that. Um, and then what what we're left with is um, meaningful conversation because I'm not in it anymore. You know, that, it, that's a that's a remarkable and liberating uh, aspect of the Dhamma. Um, and you're you're all experiencing it, and you'll experience it uh, ever more deeply and uh, even ever more profoundly as Mora was talking about. It takes a little while, uh, but it, it makes a it makes an entire human life meaningful simply because it's life as life unfolds. In other words, we don't need we don't need special considerations. We don't need uh, high points or low points that define the high points. It's called equanimity. Life is just unfolding as it is. Uh, it's it's, it's a, an amazing experience in that way. So uh, we're going to continue with the concentration factors next Thursday. Uh, so please read that chapter and do your little bit of homework. Uh, does anybody else have any questions or comments before we finish with Meta? Okay, Florin, like I said, if you want to hang on, you can. Um, we'll have a brief chat or we, you can send me an email. That's up to you. Uh, but we'll finish with Meta as we always do. And I'll have the and I'll have this talk uh, posted later on today or by tomorrow morning at the latest. So again, find your relaxed meditative posture. Gently close your eyes. Gently close your mouths, and become mindful of your breath in your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.